0: For sure, everyone always thinks that they live at the most exciting time ever.
1: <laughs> right. And you uh, think it's like the most prolific and the most important and the most but complicated. We've, but
0: we for sure do. <laughs> <laughs> of
1: course. We for sure do. <laughs> it's this moment right now, unquestionably. Uh, in the yeah. blockchain yeah. in Asian Rome? Come on. Know
0: what I know. Hey, everybody. It's the Engineering Podcast. I'm Adam. I'm Brian. Did I use, do I usually say it's engineering podcast?
1: I don't know. <laughs> Weird. My brain has just, delegated that to some lower function, so. There
0: you go. Uh, welcome back for another episode. Thanks for joining us. And thanks, as always, to our backers on Patreon who throw us a buck an episode to help keep this thing going. What, uh, what are we talking about this week?
1: Uh so we're doing a second episode on quadcopters uh and generally like unmanned aerial vehicles and but we're going to dive into the actual like technologies like how they function how they work what's what's on them what allows them to measure their environments and move around and do stuff.
0: First what do we have of note in
1: science news? Oh, good question. You you caught me. You call me unprepared with a specific...
0: It doesn't matter because Stephen Hawking died. And so we have to talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Did
1: you hear Stephen Hawking passed away?
0: Somebody, I heard somebody else talking about an interview with him where somebody asked him if you could, I think it was Neil deGrasse Tyson asked him, if you could ask Newton anything, what would it be? Hmm. And the question that he wanted to ask him was like, he wanted to lead Newton one step further than he had gotten. It was like, I want to ask Newton about what, in the context of his exploration, he would uh, have explored next. Basically, like he didn't care to be like, Yo, Newton, here's all the shit we know. <laughs> he just wanted to have a conversation where he's like, Well, what do you think about if this happens? Like he would, he, he wanted to test his mind, not, right. not have a conversation about quantum physics with this guy who's so far down the chain, it would just blow his fucking
1: mind. Man, what an interesting, it would be such a neat experience to bring someone who like pioneered something like that into the future to just have them sit in on like a college course, teaching the thing that they invented. (laughs) Can you imagine? I think an important part of
0: being good at that mode of inquiry is to realize that like 50 years from now, I'm going to live in a world where most of it is going to be a thing like, well, couldn't have seen that coming.
1: For sure. Uh,
0: but I think acknowledging that is part of it, right? Like he just wanted to have a scientist conversation with Newton. He didn't, he wasn't like, I want to get this great thinker's thoughts on blah, blah, blah. Like a great thinker's thoughts are only good for their period in time. And that goes back to what you were saying before
1: about like. Well, they're like cutting edge scientific thoughts are only good. I would imagine almost every other conversation that you engage in day to day, they're probably just right there with you, right? Right. How um, it like to have a kid? How frustrating it is to get up every morning for work. Right. <laughs> 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 oh, what it's like to have the gout, but be pushing through you right? literally. <laughs> you, were no, you frustrated I- when you realized you had to stop drinking in your 30s?
0: Uh, (laughs) Seneca had some kind of like tuberculosis or like asthma or something that he occasionally refers to. And it's why it's interesting reading some of those, the presentation of a lot of ancient philosophy is uh, letters back and forth, usually between like an academic and a dignitary of some sort. So if you go read a bunch of Seneca there, it's just letters that he sent to emperors and stuff. Um, And so he talks about things where he's just like, uh, I've gone up to live in the mountains for a time because the cough has gotten the best of me. Like he's referring to things that we can identify now, I think, as as medical conditions where he's just like, I went to a drier climate because coughing overtook me. And then he writes a a letter about uh, pushing through that discomfort to try to continue his his. Uh, thinking about stuff,
1: <laughs> doing things. Totally. It just, uh, it's interesting. I just, uh, I was just looking at the pictures of data from Star Trek playing poker with uh, Isaac Newton, Albert Einstein, and Stephen Hawking. And it never occurred to me until just this moment, looking at these pictures and seeing actual behind the scenes shots that Stephen Hawking was playing himself in the episodes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, Newton and Einstein weren't, but uh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah weird right like we also are creating a world where we have
0: like we you could you can go you can't go watch videos of newton doing stuff but you can go watch you could go down a a day-long youtube rabbit hole of Stephen Hawking jokes and pop culture he was on the simpsons a couple of times
1: i uh i saw Um, him speak live at a uh, ted event i was at he was the surprise guest speaker he really, in. he cruised in. Uh, everyone there was like hints that he was going to be the guest. Um, and then, like, in the
0: was oh, this the Feynman thing?
1: Yeah, this was a Richard Feynman based uh physics yeah. TED Talks at uh at Caltech. And uh,
0: just that right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> like, he's job, the appropriate guest uh, there. I mean, where else is Stephen Hawking going to cruise in? But he literally cruised in in the middle of it as like special guest, uh, cruises down the mid aisle. Pops up on stage, he told a joke, and then he's like, I gotta go. And then he took off. It was was baller. It was really baller. Uh,
0: That's more or less what he did on The Simpsons. Like, he made fun of Lisa for something, for disappointing him, (laughs) and then he sprouted (laughs) a helicopter helicopter. blade out of his wheelchair and flew away. (laughs) I certainly don't feel as sad about it as I feel about, like, Tom Petty, but... Also, I wonder if part of that with Hawking is given his condition, we were always kind of like, well, that's going to happen soon. Like part of his narrative has always been, oh, he's continuing to degenerate.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, it also, his his personality doesn't like day to day affect me. And although maybe his uh, like mental creations and discoveries ultimately affect the world, in a grander way, Tom Petty has had like an unquestionable weight uh, added to to the world and in, in, in right. prolific emotional uh, creative exchanges. Right. So
0: well, but that's part of this whole conversation that I think pisses scientists off so much. the the the, the stuff that he's important for results in the technology that that makes possible what people with the magnitude that you just described of, of like Tom Petty, it wouldn't exist if, if we didn't have people like
1: Hogging working on problems, like like, how do do atoms move around in the world? Good luck. The electric guitar wouldn't exist without. Right. So it's, you bring up a good point. And I, I, I think it's because, or I also get frustrated by sometimes, and I just fell victim to it a little bit. Right. Because I think, stars are really easy to attribute the success to right it's like well tom petty did it tom petty didn't do shit right and he sits on top of a billion stars not like burning
0: balls of gas
1: you (laughs) mean stars like celebrities (laughs) uh right he sits on top of an infrastructure a a music infrastructure and a, a lineage of poets and thousands of years of writing and creativity and musicians and bards and like he didn't do anything. He just happened to be a kid who wrote some songs at the right time and they like fit in. So I don't know. It's a, well,
0: regardless, it's,
1: it's cooler. It's way fucking cooler <laughs> <for sure. laughs> on a global scale. It's cooler. Uh, right. I would, I would, Oh man, that's a toss up. I mean, we both try to be, we've tried aggressively to be cool our whole lives too. So like I can picture myself playing a concert. Whereas I think a lot of people who spend who have who have also spent time like doing research in a lab probably can't picture themselves playing in a concert as easily as I can imagine myself being a successful musician, which does not mean that I should be in any in any way. But like do they picture themselves giving TED talks? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> they can probably imagine themselves at a TED TED talk more easily than I can. Um. The
0: thing about reading ancient philosophy is it makes you realize that there's always been a slot in society for pop culture relevant academics. They just were philosophers, then for a long time they were priests, and then, or monks, or something like that for a long time. And now, now they're scientists slowly. They're becoming, I mean, not even. Not even fucking slowly. Everyone knows who's Jeff Bezos is. <laughs> yeah. Elon Musk, right? Elon um, Musk
1: is certainly an anomaly.
0: So, I expected that Stephen Hawking conversation to kind of go off the rails, but... Mm. Great, back to quadcopters. <laughs> back to quadcopters. Uh, okay, so, my first question, if you're going to chase the technology of a quadcopter, is like, what is the... What's the critical piece that made it so that it was like... Oh, hey, uh quadcopter I think I'm gonna keep painting you and take it all the way back to like what how do you uh, <laughs> the how do you start to solve the problem if this thing needs to be in the air? We kind of talked about that last time, uh like philosophically, but technologically yeah, that's fair,
1: that's fair so right? uh, what's a propeller uh, do <laughs> uh yeah, okay, fair, so. Uh, the The propeller, think of it just as a bunch of little wings that are... The only thing that makes a drone not a remote-controlled car is the propeller. Right. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> think, of, think of helicopter propellers as basically airplane wings that have their own source of propulsion. So they spin around like a wing, create lift, uh, and then the little airplane can lift off the ground. Whereas an actual airplane that has two stationary wings has to produce its own thrust to... Uh, create lift from the wing but a helicopter It spins its little wings uh, And by the physics of lift um, The helicopter Magically rises into the air And we talked about a lot of the sort of uh,
0: Trade-offs in terms of the Idea of these things I think In the last episode So my thing is like let's just chase it Okay what's what's driving the propeller On a
1: drone uh, You've got little electric Motors Oh, they're probably, they're gas-powered drones, too, I think, right? So little IC engines, maybe? They could Um, be gas-powered, but but it's certainly a messier way to do it. It's not the reason I'll, uh, the ability to
0: gas-power this apparatus is not the reason that (laughs) I I will ever use one.
1: (laughs) There are drones, drones are prolific. I mean, my answer, my original answer to your question when you, or my question, my answer to your original question here was, uh affordable miniaturization of all this stuff right like we're able to mass produce little injection molded plastic propellers um we're able to produce uh plastic propellers that are pennies right we're able to produce tiny electric motors that are super efficient and powerful for five bucks ten bucks twenty bucks um and so uh on a on a drone on a quadcopter drone the sound that you hear, they sound like a, like a hive of bees coming to get you, right? It's kind of a scary noise to see how powerful something so small is, but you're getting both the sound of like that little, little plastic propeller whipping around so quickly. um, And you're getting a little bit of a, like a droning sound from these little electric motors running. Um, And that's what the power from the battery on a drone is doing, right? It's sending out. Which is ironic. For the most part.
0: Which is ironic because the, the term drone, I don't tend to think of it because of that noise. <laughs> I think of it because it means that they're they're not like in my head. Drone is a mindless automaton,
1: <laughs> what right? That, what does that uh, word do even mean? Define drone. Define drone for me. Make a continuous low humming sound as a verb or noun. A low continuous. Nah, a male bee in a colony of social bees, which does no bam. work but can fertilize a queen. There you go. <laughs> What's Except the what partic- are. What are UAVs fertilizing? What are, exactly. Freedom?
0: Different conversation. <laughs> so we have mecha- so so motors. So there's this mechanical problem. We needed to spin this propeller to make it go. Uh, so it will generate lift. Um, part of this is miniaturization. We managed to get that small enough that you can put it in a really small space. That involves using... Motors over engines, which is the thing that we covered, I think, in like our third or fourth episode, the difference between motors and engines.
1: Yeah, we did. We did an episode on.
0: Um, But. Immediately, you're like, okay, so controlling that motor becomes an important thing. And so I remember you explaining to me once what a flight controller chip was and exactly what like what's going on on that chip.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. There's actually there's like this little layer of stuff between uh, your control and the motors. So, I mean, everyone knows you fly, you fly a drone or you control a remote control car or even like military UAV drones, right? People are flying them with with radio controlled joysticks or uh, I think even Xbox controllers are used by the military to control some of this stuff. But um, your input goes into a uh, well, you mentioned a flight control board, which has a whole bunch of sensors on it. Um, and those sensors kind of describe to the, the drone or the vehicle, uh, where it is in space, how fast it's moving, whether or not it's balanced, whether it's flying in one direction or not. Um, and then from that, it makes decisions as to which of the motors to speed up or slow down. Uh, and that affects how it moves, right? Is it just trying to hover? Is it trying to go in a particular direction? Is it trying to spin around in a circle? Um, is it trying to change its like orientation in space? Uh, does it want to go up and down? Right. There's a lot of different movement. And how? Do you and
0: so sensor wise, there's a good chunk of this conversation that is the same as our conversation about uh, virtual reality, where we talk about how you how the system knows where you are in space relative to this world it's trying to create in VR. But these are all solutions we also had to solve for cell phones, like so that you can get signal to this like single most important device in most people's lives these days, their smartphone. But on some scale, you're using literally the same mechanical technological tools yeah, to I would, solve a problem of, okay, uh, this, you can only control it so much from a remote as a human. And then there are these things that dynamically need to be compensated for if you want it to keep a thing in the air. All of the logic to do that is offloaded to a chip that lives on the drone. And you can program that to manipulate you know, everything in the system, right? So let's talk about the sensors. Like, how, did that, how does it know where it is in space, right? Because it needs, like, an altimeter. It needs to know that it's not on the ground. <laughs>
1: <laughs> flying vehicle, right? So it needs to know where it is in the sky, height-wise. And then it needs to know how it's oriented. Right.
0: Uh, but unlike VR, you can't just put sensors in the room that fire at it. And then it goes, Okay, I know where I am. I mean, that's kind of what GPS is, but it only works to a certain Well there's a latency on GPS, right? Like
1: you only get down to like
0: a hundred meters. It's why sometimes it's like,
1: Oh, you're on the wrong road. There's a resolution and it's interesting. It's depending on how you use it and where you use it and the weather and everything, all of that can change. Um, and also who you are, right? And like we don't have access to GPS that's as as clear as the military, I don't believe, but um, nor did we have the GPS we have now until like the uh, interesting GPS story, actually. Um, in uh, when Bill Clinton was president, I believe that there was a missing airliner uh, that, that crashed and disappeared, right? And we were trying to rescue anyone who was still alive from the airliner. And the U.S. military had GPS technology, which the the public, the world was able to use on a really low like a a very low resolution scale, like you were saying, miles or maybe even hundreds of miles GPS to locate stuff. And um, I'm sure this was kind of like they were planning this anyway, but he he uh, he turned on. He allowed access to a higher resolution GPS that the United States military had been using for a long time. Uh, And that led to all of the GPS uh, capabilities that the planet has now. Uh, So everything that we do uh, that uses GPS, our cell phones globally uh, are, are for the most part running on U S military GPS technology uh, that the U S has made available. It's a, it's a series of like 30 uh, satellites that we built and maintained for our military uh, that now are a global good, um, which is, is a neat story, right? Cause it's, it's such a, such a prolific uh, and obvious application of something that was built for military uh that has become world changing for the whole planet right um i think you see a lot of that tech in
0: places like the space program because it starts from it takes giant cooperation and organization to apply the scientific method at certain levels of granularity um But you see the same behavior now, even in blockchain projects, but like nerds still work that way where research gets done. Then they are, you know, then they go, oh yeah, okay. This, this is a good application, but not dying is the primary motivation behind everything. So of course it starts with the military. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They throw money and people at the problem until it gets down to a certain level of accessibility. At least that's kind of the idea. Um, but part of what's gotten weird lately is blockchain diffusing that. Anyway, it's not a blockchain conversation. So, <laughs> <laughs> if you're, if you're a drone in space, you need to know. So so all we've done is is offloaded the sensing of this information to increasingly distributed methods by proliferating technology that can just handle the problem on board and And we need it for cell phones, so it's really cheap to make at this point so you can make a drone that uses g p s to know where it is relative to the granularity that can give you. It uses your wi fi signal to do the same triangulate you in space it can it has a a compass on there they call it a magnetometer, but that uses the earth's gravitational force to know which way you're facing all to a like a degree of granularity in the v r episode we chase where that granularity goes from like where we are here. But for drones, that's really all you need within a certain amount of space, unless you want to not bump into things. Um, But all of that logic is offloaded to this chip. And so the, so you're able to write a program that just goes, okay, where am I in space based on all these sensors? And here's how I'll compensate with force to the rotors. And, now a human can control that thing from a remote control, even though all of this way more complicated than we could, you know, just think about on our own is handling is happening off board on the drone.
1: Yeah, there's a- And
0: in that sense, it's a drone because it has this autonomous set of processes that we've offloaded to a chip that are just being controlled by someone on the ground to, you know, if you say go up and your drone doesn't go up, a lot of people just go, oh, fuck. And then they call tech support. <laughs> like it's not, They don't know how to, they can't manipulate the logic on the board to fix a, a thing.
1: Yeah, diving into how flight control boards work on uh, quadcopters was, was really interesting. I mean, uh, realizing I was familiar with all these sensors. Um, I'd use them uh, in robotic design uh, when I was working as an actual manufacturing engineer. Uh, but to kind of have them come together and solve the problem of uh, like where this little creature is in in 3d space and where it's looking and how it's oriented and how to how, how the software should run to to affect its motors which are really it's it's only means of propelling itself and moving around and orienting itself it's really interesting um and uh it's it's exactly what you were trying to describe there it's a, it's a it's a little being, it's a little thing that has intelligence about itself. And it's trying to figure out what its place in the world is. Right. So the, uh, the flight control board, uh, is this, uh, it's a little electronic board, like people who've ever taken something apart that has a little like green electronic board inside. Uh, they're not all green cause we, people are hip to electronics now. So we paint them other colors, but traditionally they've been green. Uh, and, uh, the uh the Board has this set of uh little sensors on board, little little machines. They're often called uh MEMS devices, which I forget what the exact uh, acronym is, but uh they're they're micro micro machines they're they're very, very tiny machines that are uh instead of something that you could pick up and look at how it works. It's like machined into silicon like we make uh microchips out of. and so you have. The, the most very basic uh, stuff that you need to just have a drone and fly it, um, you need a set of accelerometers and you need a magnetometer. Uh, and what those do together is allow the drone to know, am I getting too, am I going Oh, do like, it too weird? Perfect. So you've got, you've got kind of a fundamental, you've got a fundamental positioning issue with your drone that until you really start to think about how it knows what's going on that it's really complicated and this is an interesting philosophical space for the human body too when you dive deeper into like how your brain knows what its hand is and where its hand is and stuff extremely extremely complicated to do the kind of things that we do with our bodies with machines um and and i really got exposed to that building robots for manufacturing uh when i was younger but uh so the accelerometer, I think, is kind of at the the heart of it. Knowing what's going on, it's the first thing, and it's there are these little devices uh, that I think they're. I think accelerometers, the simplest ones, are just built with strain gauges. They're like so. Imagine holding. It's, a
0: sensor, it's a sensor that is just constantly telling the the device, "Have I jiggled lately?"
1: Right. It's, <laughs> it's essentially, a piece of metal that when you like move it, it it changes shape a little bit. And that change of shape changes the way electricity flows through it. And so you can measure consistently, like, how is it moving and how is it changing shape? And so what an accelerometer specifically is designed to do is to kind of detect the force of gravity. And so you end up in something like a drone because it's moving around in 3D space as opposed to like driving on the flat ground. You put three accelerometers in there and you put them at right angles to each other. And in doing so, you're able to detect the force of gravity in three dimensions. So in three-dimensional space, all of a sudden, no matter how you orient your drone, those three little accelerometers, they're feeling gravity and the little piece of metal or the little piece of material is bending a little bit differently based on how it's oriented. And in doing so, you send some electricity through it and you physically measure the force of gravity and you can kind of calculate... Uh, how is the drone oriented? Is it sitting flat? Is it turning? Is it upside down? Uh, and it, it's it's really neat because that that those weird little tiny devices uh, all of a sudden give your drone uh, it answers a nervous system. Make, yeah, <laughs> right. You're building conceptually. Up
0: you just described a nervous system which right like our body is doing it on a scale we just can't understand all day
1: right we have the same sort of sensors in our in our ears right that's where our sense of balance comes from i think right i think it's it's little bones and and forces of gravity pulling and and it's why you get so uh it's why you feel so uneasy and why people get what we consider s- like feeling sick to your stomach on a roller coaster ride because your senses, you don't have that constant sense of gravity of where your body is and how it's oriented in space anymore. And so your, your body says, whoa, what the hell is going on? I'm, I've lost this major sense that we don't think of day to day as sense because we're not typically concerned with like how our body's oriented. We get it. It's just part of life. It's different than like touching something hot and thinking I'm about to get burned. Like we get that as a sense, sense of touch and sense of smell, but sense of balance uh, is just so ingrained in how we exist once you're past like the age of five that you just kind of forget about it.
0: Uh, and so what you're talking about at that point is, the it's a th- again, this came up in the VR episode, but you hit a point where to increase the granularity uh, of the knowledge you have about your surroundings, which is what your nervous system is doing constantly, you start needing sensors like eyes that, that actually look out into the world and, and pick stuff up. Yeah. Need, the thing we can do it back with, with VR right now is sh- like shoot lasers at you <laughs> and pick up information. And that's an effective way to like take you and put you somewhere else. But to solve that problem without the external things firing at you, you, you just start having to use sensors that essentially look out in the world. Right? Like, so if you want a drone that, Automatically doesn't run into trees, which is a pretty valuable <laughs> problem to solve. You you just use cameras, right? Like it has twenty four cameras on it. It's looking out and it's analyzing the image, and
1: it's responding to what's going on there. Which is which is unfair to say that we're not shooting stuff at it, right? You can't sense things without other stuff, right? So just talking it's about just these- using the guns. Stuff instead of right. It's using it's using lasers, or whatever, or, or radio waves that we have just right. dispersed into the world to use. Yep. as yeah. None of, none of the features. That's what's so interesting about this, right? I was going to say that the accelerometers are kind of an internal sensor because in reality, the accelerometers don't tell the the uh, drone much about its actual place in the world. It just tells itself how it's oriented relative to the center of the planet, the center relative of the gravity of the planet. It. Yeah, but yeah. it's using gravitation right it's using this thing that exists in the universe that i don't even know if we can really describe what it is very well but it's it's a thing that we can measure um, and then and when you say we you mean the scientific community not like me and you well shit you and me right i mean i had you this really don't know what's going on with gravity i got a flight control board and i plugged it into my computer and i could read gravity right i could see what it was measuring relative um, to that drone right so so when you say this stuff has been offloaded
0: like to build a drone now you don't even have to it's it's just all hard-coded on a chip that mm-hmm. you can buy for 20 dollars right now on amazon, amazon yeah i think that my, is surprisingly powerful i think six like years what did it ago? cost you to build a drone six years ago
1: uh i think i spent like 350 bucks maybe um and it wasn't necessarily the drone parts That even cost that much i mean i probably went through a couple bodies and i had a a handful of parts i was building a drone back before you could just go buy a commercial drone so i was kind of sourcing parts from blog posts and foreign vendors and stuff to get these things i needed and uh that seemed relatively cheap at the time the actual board that controlled it i'm pretty sure was like 22 dollars um and then the software was all open source right so you could actually go download the software and edit it and and start doing your own projects on it
0: uh our our buddy friend of the podcast uh runs a farm All I won't drop his I won't drop him by name I don't think he would appreciate it but uh I got to go watch them do an aerial survey via drone of a field that they're assessing to put a vineyard in and uh it was crazy the dude set up like survey markers at the corners he drove around with this thing that took a really detailed reading of where it was in space, and it set out the corners for where a drone would scan and take really high-resolution photos every few feet so that they could mesh together perfectly within a square. So watching this, uh, this field survey was like the guy showed up in a truck He drove around with this thing, marked the corners, put a stake in where the mark was. And we sat there and shot the shit for 45 minutes while a commercial drone carrying a better than average camera just just went like a Roomba going across (laughs) like a a, a kitchen floor. Uh, And then they delivered this remarkable analysis of. Like how fluid will flow on the hill in the field, and this they did this topographical analysis from the
1: just assessing the photos it's it's wild what can be done with these devices right I mean that's a that's a and it's because software aided right right like we it stops being well, mechanical yeah. well past I mean, the point there's there's always there's always that analog to digital piece here which which kind of begs the question is there really anything is anything analog which the answer seems to be no uh because there's there's quanta when you get down low enough but um there's there's an organic component and the accelerometers on a drone are like the org—they're an organic sensor, right? At on a big level, if you zoomed in, I've used ex- I've used uh, strain gauges that are big that you can see, and you like put on things yourself, and they're just—it's like a little piece of metal, and you connect two wires to it, and you connect a battery to it, and then you measure the electricity, and you from that the software looks at it and says, "Hey, it's changed, and this is the rate it's changing, and and this is what it looks like now." And um, but you're totally right. Once you once we have this stuff, and we have it. We have, we have billions and billions and billions of these, right? Because all of these sensors that are in a drone are in your cell phone, right? Like you could strap your cell phone on there and uh, there's actually probably software. I would, I would say almost certainly you can download software on your phone that acts as a flight controller and you can get an adapter and just put a phone on to build a drone. Uh, I don't know why you'd want to do that because the boards are so cheap, but... Um, I think the, the route generally tends to be use your phone sensors to
0: a point to pre-program it and then let it run for applications that need to be that specific. Um, But I think you could do the same thing that this surveyor was doing just by, you know, taking the phone to a point, saying corner, taking the phone to a point, saying corner, taking a phone to a point. It would decrease the granularity a little bit, but you could compensate by having a better camera pretty easily. You can offload a lot of that logic processing to the phone, right? Like a lot of those commercial drones are sort of controlled in that way via cell phone. Like you either have to plug it into another thing or you can take that, the weight. I mean, there's, that's a funny part of the, the thing with this, right? The lighter you can make the device, the more effectively you can longer- or efficiently and thus cheaply cause the thing to do what it's supposed to do. And now we're to the point where you have drones that can just fly around your bedroom pretty competently. Yeah. Just dealing with the latency of a wireless signal because all of the processing is happening on your phone and just being communicated to it wirelessly?
1: Do we need to chase down wireless tech? I was going to go into a couple more of the sensors that kind of actually put you, you eventually get like a full image of where the drone is because the accelerometers they do it.
0: There's a point where I, I lose track of what's Yay. on
1: there, right? So, what
0: else do you need to know to pull this off so, at the level that I can have a drone deliver me pizzas?
1: The accelerometers that we talked about that give, give it like if you've ever seen like pitch, yaw and roll, they're like the three orientations of a plane. Um, it's why
0: you fly a fighter like, plane with a, a stick.
1: <laughs> right? I mean, isn't
0: that essentially? Yeah.
1: Yeah, basically. So you can control all of this six degrees. Of- you can't. Well, the difference on a plane, a plane you can roll it and you can, and you can, I don't remember which one. Pitch which. it forward. You can roll and you can pitch it forward or yeah. backwards, but you can't go up and down. So that would require you to like pull the joystick up or press it down. But you can with a helicopter, which is the orientation, the movement that a uh, a drone has. And so, The accelerometer really just tells the drone how it's oriented with respect to the ground. It doesn't tell it, however, which direction it's pointing. So it kind of tells it like in space, am I upside down? Am I right side up? Am I tilted 45 degrees to the right? It tells it that stuff, but it doesn't tell it like which direction is north. And so to all of a sudden get like a directional component on the planet, you need a second sensor. You need something called a magnetometer. And the magnetometer is reading another one of the Uh, wonderful pieces of data that the planet puts out on its own, the magnetic field. And so the magnetometer all of a sudden adds uh, the measurement of what direction am I facing? So now the drone knows, hey, I'm upright, so I'm sitting here hovering. Uh, I'm going to turn until I'm facing north. And so all of a sudden it has a little more orientation with respect to the planet. It knows directional how it can go.
0: And part of these is, this is... is This is a relative, every layer of this is a relative reading because you're comparing the thing against how it was either an instant before or how it is relative to these other things. So once you know where you are in space, when you stack on which way you're facing with the fact that you can record it dynamically, now you've just stacked up like, here's where I am on the earth. But it's still relative to a set of things that you're able to sense well, that's and the, With eyes, you can go. Oh, this, I'm up over here, and this thing's over there, and that's. So we've also chased cameras down to this level of everything we talk about in the camera episode, happening on that device. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Everything we talked about in the AI episodes, happening on that device. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Relative to all of those things. Absolutely, all this stuff is is coming together uh, to make these these little toys that you can buy for a couple hundred dollars. Um, which is the same reason your cell phone can do so much stuff, right? And the same reason... How does it talk through altimeters and barometers? Yeah, so... Because you have those on your device now, too. Yeah, so the next the next component... So now your drone knows uh, the direction it's facing, and it kind of knows how it's oriented. So it's able to uh, level itself out. It knows where it was before yep. relative to all of those... Uh, it knows its previous orientation, and it knows the direction it was facing before. It still doesn't second know... second. It still doesn't know where it is on Earth right so all of those sensors could tell it how it's oriented but it doesn't know like am i in new york or am i in california right it still doesn't have that sense nor does it know how high it is in the atmosphere it doesn't know if it's near the ground or if it's a thousand feet off the ground so it uses something called an altimeter to measure uh its altitude which i'm i'm not super familiar with like accuracy here i think you have to technically reset your altimeter every time so it probably does this when it's on the ground when you first turn it on it tests the atmospheric pressure because that's what it uses to know how high it is it uses a barometer and a barometer measures atmospheric pressure so it literally measures uh, essentially how much atmosphere is above me how much air how much water how much nitrogen oxygen um carbon dioxide how much is above me and how much is it pressing down so kind of like going to the bottom of a bathtub and measuring how much pressure is there from the water and so when you measure uh barometric pressure the pressure of the atmosphere there's a there's a very strong correlation uh at least in our our relatively close part of the atmosphere how high you are you can calculate based on what the atmospheric pressure is you just know how much atmosphere is above you so um, at the level that people are flying drones, that's pretty accurate. So it measures it while it's on the ground. And then as it's flying, it can say, Hey, the pressure reduced a little bit. So I must be up in the air higher. Uh, and you program that software in and then it knows its height. So now it knows what direction am I looking? How am I oriented and how high am I in the atmosphere? How high off the ground am I?
0: We learned a lot scientifically speaking in terms of how to, how to measure this stuff by building things like submarines where we paid attention to it underwater. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting idea that you can do things like fly as long as the way that you perceive the medium you're moving through as like, imagine like a bird probably feels the way that you feel in a, in the ocean because you're buoyant. Mm -hmm. Totally. Right. You just float on the thing. Right. So birds aren't like, I'm fucking flying. (laughs) They're probably more like I'm swimming. Right. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Which is an absurd way to think about it. But so like that that that's how I always sort of conceptualize uh, gases or fluids. Yeah. Right? So how you conceptualize the sensation of knowing where you are in a pressure system. Yeah. And so as you stack all this stuff up, it's all just... It, that stuff exists in a cell phone so that they can beam you signal and you can do the things you do wirelessly. Um,
1: yeah, it's really... Interesting. When you, if you look up, if you go look up, like, uh, like atmospheric waves or cloud waves and stuff, you can see these large pictures where the atmosphere looks like waves in an ocean uh, because it's kind of the same thing. It's a, it's you, we can't see it really, so it's harder to to appreciate. But we're basically lobsters at the bottom of the air ocean, <laughs> whereas lobsters are at the <laughs> bottom of the water ocean. Right. And right. we're these little ground dwelling creatures that uh, can't really get up in the sky without drones or hopping on the back of a dragon. Um, but it's there. But
0: this ties straight up ties right into the, the the current exploration on planets that we have sort of on our list of to do's. Uh, Cause that also holds once you get like, it's this density layer cake. And once you chase like physics just exists in this world of densities and outside of the atmosphere it's like okay here's how the game changes but we're also pretty adept at this point of like okay we're gonna go around this planet and we're gonna fly out here and it's like hey it worked
1: (laughs) yeah amazing what we're able to do just based on gravity and the pull of the planet or pull of bodies planetary bodies pulling you towards them right it was the weirdest realization it still feels weird to me when i think about it but it makes conceptual sense that like the ocean is there because you like Somebody poured a cup of ocean and it like flowed out to where the ocean would sit, right? Because we're used to pouring fluids like that. But the atmosphere and everything we breathe and interact with is the same way. It is just poured on the planet and just kind of settles in to where it fits, right? It's a little different because it kind of expands and then gravity fights and it, it doesn't just escape like air would without gravity. But... Um, it's still it's just this fluid layer that s- settles into valleys. You see it with like clouds coming over mountains and stuff. Uh, it's it's really a spectacular realization. Um, and watching some videos like that and looking at images of, of stuff like that is really, really neat. It changes your perspective. Bam. Um, yeah, so we've got so the drone now knows uh, its orientation, where it's looking. And how high it is, but it doesn't know where it is on the planet, which is an interesting problem for it because uh, it doesn't, it can't really tell where it is. There isn't a sensor we can put on there. You could kind of put, you could put like sextants. GPS only gets you to a certain granularity. Well, GPS is interesting because GPS doesn't work we had to build GPS. We can't do yeah. GPS with natural, uh, natural energetic resources that are coming off of the planet. We had to put satellites up there that know where they are. And by, by proxy can tell the drone where it is. So when you throw a GPS, that's when you get to a new level. I didn't have GPS on my, the drone I built, although I did have some GPS chips I was playing with, but you, uh, once GPS is on there, that's what like the drone that probably surveyed the farm did, you were probably marking GPS coordinates. And then the drone just, you just press a button and the drone checks in with GPS and flies around and covers the Covers the area, so GPS is kind of that last component which says it also comes back to you halfway through to get a new battery. <laughs> did it like <laughs> install its own battery, or did you have to pop the no, battery? Oh no, Sucks.
0: But I did know someone once who was working at a startup that was trying to handle that part of <laughs> it. The self-talking drones exist;
1: they're just expensive. You've seen the video of the the like Tesla charging station robot yeah, that, that tries that to little, plug itself in. Elephant neck looking <laughs> thing. I got a lot of shit when it first came out. Way
0: more massive it and looked uh, very
1: menacing was- it looked like a like a the tail of a scorpion trying to stab you um but yeah once you have gps you've got these four sensors that uh tell a drone or let a drone know uh its entire orientation on earth right it knows how how it is how it physically is in space it knows the direction it's looking it knows how high it is in the atmosphere and now it has a point on the planet it can tell if it's in new york it can tell if it's in la or more specifically, you can tell if it's at the corner of a field of crops or in the middle, and um, and it was really interesting when I when I first uh, was playing with these drones. It was so interesting to think through all of those components and how complicated uh, and how how complicated it is to figure that stuff out. Both uh, and how many things there were to figure out. Right, like our bodies are amazing, our brains are fantastic. They know this stuff. Uh, just by looking around and we have eyes too right which work into a whole other set of sensors um, for orienting ourselves Um, but it's just it's such a wild uh, a wild concept for to train a, a mechanical device to figure these things out and then you realize that all of those things are really just to orient the drone relative to our planet earth which begs the question of like well is that is Is that the center of the universe? Is that the thing that it matters that everything else is oriented to? And if not, what is?
0: Right. It's a jarring thing (laughs) to realize that the Earth is not the center of the universe. Right, because we
1: send (laughs) things other places now, so we send stuff out to like orbit the Moon, and all of a sudden, science—it doesn't (laughs) have the Earth's gravitational field anymore. It doesn't have the Earth's atmosphere to measure its altitude. It doesn't have the Earth's gravitational field to measure its direction. So things change really quickly. As soon as you leave this one little environment where we run all of our experiments, a drone wouldn't fly. You couldn't fly a regular drone on the moon for, for almost every reason, almost everything about my drone breaks on the moon. Right? So,
0: so what do we chase in the next part of this series? cool uh, drones i think we should i think we should go i think we should go because the mars rover is to an extent a drone oh that's a good idea. they're utilizing all of this technology to drive a little buggy around mars and poke at stuff
1: i was say i was thinking we should go find somewhere where they do drone racing high speed drone racing with vr headsets and oh, go try yeah. it that looks really that's, cool that's in between drone racing <laughs> right? and that could VR. be its own episode i've wanted to try that actually because i think i would in, enjoy scoping that out not that i can fly i can barely fly somewhere then
0: i suppose (laughs) in our
1: series on drones we'll do something like that
0: but for now thanks for hanging out for this one yeah Uh, this is engineering podcast
1: i'm adam Um, brian keep it level ride it out (laughs) i have no idea know where you are (laughs) in physical space